Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Now, two weeks ago, two weeks ago in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we read that when the days drew near for him, this is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. When, when his time on earth was coming to a close, Jesus fixed his eyes towards the cross, right? And, and after spending the, the, the past few years living and ministering up in the northern region of Galilee, Jesus began making his way towards Jerusalem. For these final months of, of, of his public ministry, really the final months of his life on earth, Jesus is going to spend the majority of his time traveling now into the regions of Judea and Perea, visiting towns and villages as he's making his way towards the cross. And one of the things that we're going to notice as, as we continue this, this journey through Luke, there, there's, there's a major shift that takes place in, in Luke's emphasis from this point forward. Whereas it, up to this point, Luke has primarily been focusing on the works and the miracles of Jesus. Instead, now going forward, G, uh, Luke is going to be placing a greater emphasis now on the words and the teachings of Jesus. Now, the, the miracles were important. The works were important because Luke has been putting forth the idea that, that this is the Messiah. These works, these miracles prove that he is who he is. But now Luke is going to focus more on, on the words and the teachings. In fact, if you happen to have a, a red letter edition of the Bible where the, the spoken words of Jesus are recorded in red. How many of you guys have a red letter? Anybody? Look at them all. Mine's black. You guys have fancy Bibles. Here's the thing. From this point forward, you're going to notice, if you just take your thumb and, and divide it 951, and you look forward or you look backwards, you're going to see a significant increase in the amount of red ink. That's a fact. That's a fact. Lots of red ink from here forward in Luke's gospel. You look back, there's, there's red ink, but not nearly as much. Luke is making it a point to emphasize here the teachings and the instructions of Jesus as, as Jesus is preparing his followers for life and ministry after he's gone. And we're going to get into some of those uh, some of those teachings this morning. You're gonna see lots of red ink uh, even, even this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse one is where we're picking up. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, the first thing that I want you to see here is that at this point, at this point, Jesus isn't traveling, you know, just with his 12 disciples. He is traveling with a much larger gathering of his followers. And from this larger group, so that there's more than 72 here, right? But from this larger gathering of his followers, he now selects 72 others that he's going to, to send out. In the same way that he had sent the 12 out at the beginning of chapter nine, 
he's now going to send these, these 72 uh, disciples out in pairs. So you've got 36 groups, right? 36 pairs going out into the areas of Judea and Perea, going out into these villages and towns that Jesus is planning to visit. He's sending them out to, to lay the groundwork to prepare the people for his arrival. And in verse two, he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It's a lovely thought. But using, using the imagery of a farmer, a farmer who has a bountiful crop, what's the, what's the goal of a farmer? It's not to plant, is it? The goal is, is the crop, right? That's what he's after. And, and using this image of a farmer with a bountiful crop, Jesus says, look at all the grain fields. Look at them. Look, look at the harvest that's right there. The crops are ready, are ready to, be, to be gathered in. But, but we need more workers. We need more. There's just, it's just a huge harvest ready to be harvested, but we need more workers. Look at all the people out there, right? Look, look at all the need, right? So many people who need the good news of God's kingdom. Do you think that's changed? No, the, the harvest is ripe. There's a whole world full of people right now who have great need for the good news, don't they? The harvest is plentiful, but we need more workers, right? So Jesus says, what are we to do here? What, 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 what's a solution? How are we going to resolve this? There's a lot of need. There's a lot of harvest, but we need more workers. So what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus gives the answer. First, he says what? He says, I, I want you to pray, pray. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray, pray, and pray some more, right? Pray, pray, pray. Do you pray for God to raise up workers to go out into the harvest? Do you pray for that? Is that on like, a, you, got your, you got your morning prayer list. Do you pray for workers to go out into the harvest? Jesus says, pray for that. Pray earnestly for God to send people out into the fields. Send them out into the, to the foreign fields, right? And send them out into the, to the local fields, right? Send them out to, to Mexico, right? But send them out to Maine too, right? Send them out to, to Libya, Send them also to, to Lewiston, right? You, you can send them to Congo or Cuba, right? But send them also to, to, to Camp Good News, right? Man, pray, pray, pray. But don't just send them to those places, right? God, send your people in, into schools. Send your people into banks. Send them into grocery stores, gas stations, universities, hospitals, right? Send your people out everywhere. Are you praying for God to send people out? Jesus says to pray for God to send 
workers out. But don't stop there. Don't stop with prayer, right? Don't just pray. In, verses, in verse three, Jesus says, and go your way. You're like, ah, check. I can pray for God to send people out. I'll do that. Wouldn't be great if Jesus stopped there. You pray for me to send people and then sit back and do nothing. No, that's not what he says. He says, pray first and pray earnestly and then go your way. Don't just pray for workers, be a worker, right? Pray and go. Pastor of the church that I attended when I lived in Albuquerque, he used to talk about the way that that God often gives his children a burden to pray for the people that he is calling them to reach. Think about that for a second. Not always directly, not always directly. You, you may not be called to go to those places that I mentioned. You might be though. Oftentimes he, he calls us to, to support, to get involved in reaching those places by, by either going on our own or by supporting and encouraging others who are doing the work in that place. He might send you directly or he might call you to support someone else, but but pay attention, really pay attention to the burdens that God places on your heart. Is there a specific place? Is there a specific people? Is there there a gathering? Is there a community? Is there that, that God has given you a burden to pray for? You know if he has. And if he hasn't, ask him to give you a burden to pray. But don't just pray, right? Be prepared to get involved. Be prepared to go. You know, I can think of some places I'm not going to pray for then, right? (laughs) Right? That might be the exact place that God is calling you to pray for because it's the first place you thought of, right? God, I, you, yes, I will pray for Hawaii. <laughs> I really have a burden to play for Costa Rica. I really do. If he does, pray, 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 and be willing to go and, and serve wherever he's calling you to serve or, or to support those who are serving there. But don't rule out all those other places as well. God moves the, his people to pray, and he moves his people to go. Well, after Jesus tells them to pray and and, and tells them to go, he then tells them what to expect. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Hmm. Not the greatest news if you're a lamb, right? That's not where lambs want to go, out where the wolves are, right? Right? But Jesus doesn't hide the truth from his followers. He doesn't hide it from them that, that there are going to be wolves. There is going to be opposition. As we seek to live for Christ and we, and we seek to introduce others to him, we're gonna face opposition. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has, hate, it hate, it has hated me before it hated you. He went on to say, if they persecuted me, did they persecute Jesus? Yeah. And he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I mean, that is if you are praying and, and going. 
If you're doing the work that God has called you to do, you can expect to face persecution. Being a part of God's plan to bring people into his kingdom, it it is an incredible privilege, right? But it's also a serious responsibility. And it's not always easy, is it? There's gonna be opposition. Well, in verse four, Jesus continues, and and he's gonna give these 72 further instructions about their about their mission. He says, when you go, when you go, I want you to carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and to greet no one on the road. In whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Stop there. Now, for those of you who who were here uh, when we read about Jesus sending out the 12 uh, at the beginning of chapter nine, you're gonna notice that there, there is some similarity to these instructions. There's, there's some similar, but there is, there's more here, right? Jesus says, I want you to, he says, I want you to pack light, right? He says, don't worry ab- about bringing all of, of the things that you would normally bring. Don't, don't worry about bringing a money bag, Don't worry about bringing extra sandals. When he sent the 12 out, he said, don't even worry about bringing extra underclothes, right? Remember that from chapter nine? He said, don't worry about packing all of the normal things that you would normally pack when you're going out. Why? Because I'm gonna provide for you. I'm gonna provide for you. Everything that you need will be taken care of. And then he says, Don't even greet people along the road. Does that surprise you when you read that? Seems strange, right? I mean, almost almost rude. Like, don't don't even greet people on the road. We gotta understand that a typical greeting in that day could last 20, 30, 40 minutes, not just like, hey, how you doing? Moving on, right? That would be rude, right? Just like, hey, how you doing? Moving on. So, but... What Jesus is saying is here is that I, I don't want you to get delayed by getting caught up in all the normal greetings as you're traveling. Why? Because there's an urgency here. There's an urgency that, that, that time is ticking. What does Jesus know? Where's he headed? He's headed to Jerusalem to do what? To die. Time is ticking. You need to get out to these villages and tell them, I'm coming. These are the villages. I'm sending you to the villages that I'm getting ready to go and visit. So you need to get out there. There's an urgency. I want you to pack light and I want you to get going. Pack light and get going. And then he says this. He says, here's what I want you to do. When you arrive in a town, I want you to rely on, on the hospitality of the people in that town. Now, this was, this was the common practice. This was the common practice for travelers in those days. You, 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 didn't, you didn't book a, a reservation through, through the local like Hilton, right? You didn't call the 1-800 number, set up a reservation, get all your travel rewards. and it, it, That didn't exist in, in those 
days. Somebody should have came up with it though, right? Right, you know, somebody did. But no, what did they do? They would knock on the door. Probably somebody they didn't, know, didn't even know, right? They would knock on the door of someone's home and request a place to stay. How would you like that this afternoon? Someone just walks up and, hey, you got room for me and my family? Sure, <laughs> right? That's not, like, that, that's not how we do things here. But that was the custom. And it was a cultural expectation for the homeowner to welcome you if they were able to do so, right? We talked about that two weeks ago, about, about, about the cultural rudeness that the Samaritans were rejecting hospitality when Jesus was, was coming through. And so Jesus says, listen, when, when you come into a home, when you come into a home, I want you to pronounce peace over that home. Now, the word, the Hebrew word for peace here is, anybody know it? What is it? Shalom. You guys are Hebrew scholars. Excellent. Shalom, and shalom is it's a deeply meaningful word. It, 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 you're pronouncing a, a pronouncement of God's blessing. You're pronouncing God's peace over their home. What a great way to, to welcome someone at home. Can you imagine if we do that, like someone comes into your house? Wouldn't that be great? Someone came into your house to visit, and they'd walked in and said, man, shalom over this home. We should do that. For each other, shouldn't we? Pronounce God's blessing of, of peace. And Jesus says that, that if you go into a home, I want you to pronounce this blessing, this offering of peace over this home. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And to, to say a son of peace, it's kind of like, you remember the sons of thunder? That was a way of describing their, their personalities, right? A son of peace is saying, this is a home where, where the blessing is received. This is a, a house of peace, a house that is open to this offering of shalom, this offering. If there is a welcoming of that peace in this home, then peace will rest upon that home. If there's an openness to, to receive that blessing, if, there, if there's an openness to welcome you and to hear God's offer of peace, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to stay in that home, stay there and eat and drink what they offer you. Gladly receive what they provide for you. They're, they're gonna take care of you. They're gonna feed you. They're gonna provide for you and you should receive it with gratitude because the worker is deserving of his wages. See, Jesus wants his, his followers as he's sending money. I want you to understand something. You're going out as workers right now. You're getting to work, and, and it is right. It's the right thing for them to, to take care of you. It's the right thing for them to provide for you. But, but, make sure, make sure that you are content with their provision. Make sure you are content with their provision. Jesus says, do not go from house to house. When you show up, don't, don't jump around from home to home looking for a better deal, looking for a better meal. When you show up, if they welcome you in, you go into that home and you thank God for the provision that they give to you. Why did he have to say that? Because it was a custom for people, the travelers are like, that bed wasn't very comfortable. I think I'll find a better place to stay. 
that meal was awful. Let's find somebody who cooks a little better, right? To look for the best accommodations when you were traveling from village to village. And Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. You stay there and you be content with what's put before you. Thank God for it. Bless them. Heal their sick, right? And tell them that God's kingdom has come near. Jesus says, you tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. We've talked about this before, right? That, that as the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as Christians, we are ambassadors of Christ, right? That means that we are his representatives. And so when these representatives showed up in a home, they were representing who? They're representing Jesus. They're representing the king, right? And as his ambassadors, we have been commissioned to go out and bring with us an offering of peace from the king. Do you know that that's the offer you're supposed to be giving to people? There's an offering of peace from the king of the universe. You can be reconciled to God. That's what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. And Jesus says, if they receive that offering of peace, if they're open, tell them how they can be reconciled to God. Tell them how they can have peace with God. But what if they don't? What what if they don't receive that offering of peace? What if they reject it? What if that happens? Do you think that happens? Do you think it happened to them? And does it happen to you? Of course it does. In verse 10, Jesus says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Notice, notice that, that, that what they say to both, those who receive him and those who reject him get the same words. The kingdom of God has come near. How did the kingdom of God come near? Because his messengers, his ambassadors had come near with this offering of of peace. Now, we did talk quite a bit about this whole practice of uh, shaking the the dust off your your sandals when we read about Jesus sending out the the 12, okay? So I don't wanna wanna spend a lot of time on that. You can can always go back and and listen to that at the beginning of chapter nine. But just briefly, let let me just summarize it this way. In those days, in those days, it was a common practice for Jews to literally to literally stop and, and, and shake the dust off of their sandals when they finished traveling through a Gentile city or through a Gentile region. These are regions that are not Jewish, okay? So they're in a Gentile community. Uh, when they're leaving, they would stop and shake their du- the dust off their feet. It was a symbolic gesture to say, I don't want to be contaminated by any part of this pagan Gentile culture. I don't want to be contaminated, but I don't, I, don't, I don't even want to bring the dust of your city with me. It was a symbol of disassociation, and it was a warning of the judgment that awaits them, warning them. And so Jesus says, listen, 
you go into this town and they reject you, if they reject this, this offer of peace, just leave and go to the next town. You've done your job. You've done your job. Your job is to bring the good news. It's up to them whether they receive it or reject it. You, that's important to remember, isn't it? That your job isn't to, to argue somebody into the kingdom, right? Your job isn't to keep beating them over the head until they finally say, okay, I'll do it, right? That's not your job. Your job is to present the good news that there's an offering of peace from the king of the universe. That's your job. And if they reject it, don't be offended. Who are they rejecting? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. We're going to talk about that. Jesus says that they reject your offer of peace. Just leave, right? But before you leave, do this. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Make sure as you're leaving, make sure you let them know that the, 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 a warning, this is a warning of the judgment that awaits them because of their rejection. Jesus says, make sure you tell them, shake the dust, warn them that there's judgment coming for this, judgment for rejecting me. Make sure you tell them that the kingdom of God has come near in other words, you were this close. God's offer of peace is right in front of you and you're rejecting it. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Judgment is coming because of this rejection. Wow. That's heavy stuff, isn't it? That's heavy stuff. You've got two different responses here. We receive Jesus or reject Jesus. You understand? There's no in-between, is there? You're either going to receive his offer of peace or you're going to reject it. And in verse 12, Jesus continues. He's not done. He says, and I tell you, I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, you folks, if you've been reading, you've read your Bibles, you know the Old Testament history. You know what God did to Sodom, right? He destroyed it. He destroyed it because of the wickedness there. And Jesus says, it's gonna be more bearable for Sodom than for the town that rejects me. It is no small thing to reject the offer of peace that is presented to you from Jesus. It's not a small thing. It should not be taken lightly. What we see here in Jesus's words is that, that there is going to be a day of judgment. There is gonna be, Right? We, 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 don't, we don't like to talk about that, do we? We don't like to think about that. We don't like that. But, but guys, this is, these are the words of Jesus, right? It's the reality. And Jesus says it's gonna be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. It's gonna be more bearable for the, for the people of that wicked, ancient city of Sodom than for those who reject the Messiah. That's heavy news, isn't it? That's heavy. And listen, I don't, I don't pretend to have all the answers uh, about... Jesus basically said, there's, like, there's gonna be degrees of punishment in hell. And I don't, I don't completely understand how all that works, right? I mean, hell is gonna be hell. You're gonna be eternally separated from God. But, but according to Jesus, there's gonna be degrees of punishment. 
a more, a more severe punishment on those who reject him than on those of that wicked city of Sodom. What's worse than being a, 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 a part of the, the community of Sodom in, in the Old Testament times? How about being somebody who rejects the Messiah? That's what Jesus is saying here. This is serious, serious, serious business. And I gotta say, th- these aren't my words. Like, well, I don't like what you're saying, Chris. Well, it's not my problem. I didn't write it. Okay, Jesus said these words. You got a problem with what, what this is? You got to take it up with Jesus. But I encourage you to take it up now. Don't wait till that day that he's talking about. Take it up with him now. There is a day coming when those who have rejected Christ will be separated from him for all eternity. That's what he says. But, but listen, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Because of Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. We can have shalom. We can have peace with God. We, we can receive the, the gift of eternal life with Jesus. That's, that's the reason he came, right? That's, that's, that's why Jesus, that's why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus came on a mission to make it possible for you and I to have peace with God. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. That's God's heart for you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. The reason he came to this world was to offer you peace with God the Father. You're at a point, I mean, you are right now, if you're sitting here this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your savior. You are literally sitting in the very same type of seats as those who Jesus sent the 72 out to meet with. You're in a position today where you're gonna have to make a decision. Am I going to reject his offer of peace or am I going to receive his offer of peace? It's a choice you have to make. There is no middle ground. Will you receive him or or will you reject him? I can tell you what he wants you to do. He wants you to receive him. He does, that's why he came. That's why he suffered the death that he suffered so that you wouldn't have to. In verses 13 to 15, he, 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 he keeps going. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, right? Capernaum, the home base of his ministry, right? Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. As Jesus continues to explain the the, the judgment that awaits those who reject him, he now pronounces a a series of of woes. These are, a woe is like, it's a heartfelt warning. Don't don't picture Jesus being like, I'm so mad at you. Whoa. No, it's like, whoa. Warning you. This is serious, right? It's it's a, a, a sorrowful warning to these to these cities in Galilee. These are three cities in Galilee where Jesus had spent time ministering and teaching. You've got Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, all up on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Now, let me just pause for a moment before we continue because uh, there's there's a really quick thing I I really wanna point out about, about Chorazin, okay? Did you know that the gospel writers, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
they do not include any stories about Jesus spending time in Chorazin. Not a single story, not one story about like, and then Jesus went to Chorazin and he turned the water to wine. Nope, that was Cana, right? No, no, no stories about healing this leper there or none of those types of stories. The only reason that we know that Jesus went to Chorazin is because of what he says right here in these verses. And I bring this up because, I bring this up because it's a great reminder it's a great reminder that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are only a sample of all that Jesus spoke. It's only a sample of all the things that, that Jesus did while he was on the earth. In fact, in fact, in the very last verse of John's Gospel, he's like, I've written this whole Gospel. It's like, there's so much more to tell. There's so much more I could tell you. And so he just, he just like, all right, I'm just gonna wrap it up this way. John chapter 21, verse 25, he says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. We could fill volumes and volumes and volumes if we wrote about all that Jesus did, about all that Jesus taught. So this, this is just a snapshot but just because it's not written what he did in Chorazin, Jesus holds Chorazin responsible because he did go there. He did minister there. Jesus spent time in Chorazin. He spent time in Bethsaida. And he spent a lot of time in Capernaum, right? We've read story after story of the things that Jesus did, especially in Capernaum. And so he pronounces this warning of woe against these three uh, cities because of their rejection of him. He had walked their streets, right? He had taught in their synagogues. He had healed their sick. He had performed miracles in their, in their presence. And Jesus says, man, if Tyre and Sidon, now these are two Old Testament uh, Gentile cities further north along the Mediterranean. If they had witnessed the things that I did in your cities, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, if they had seen all that you've seen, they would have totally repented. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. We are accountable for that which has been revealed to us. What's been revealed to you, you're accountable for it. Jesus holds these cities accountable for rejecting what they had seen and heard. He had ministered in their presence, right? And they still rejected him as their Messiah. We need to understand that when, when the presence of God comes near, when the presence of God come, comes near and you reject it, you are heaping up judgment on yourself. That's what Jesus is saying here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't reject me so quickly. Jesus would say, be warned, be warned. But, but, but according to Jesus, this, this warning, this is crazy, this warning isn't limited just to those who, who rejected Jesus in the flesh. It's not just to Bethsaida, Capernaum, and Chorazin because Jesus walked their streets and healed in front of them. It's not limited to that. It also applies and extends to those who reject his messengers as well. Look at what he says in verse 16. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, 
rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Who's Jesus talking to here? He's talking to the 72, right, that are getting ready to go out with this message of peace. He's saying, he's saying that, that you are my ambassadors. When you go out, you're gonna carry this good news of the kingdom with you. You're gonna carry this offer of peace. And, and when people hear us, when they hear this, they're really hearing Jesus, right? So like right now, if you're hearing this, it, it, you're hearing Chris, right? But, but really, who are you hearing from? You're hearing from God. Not because I'm God, I'm just an instrument. I'm a, I'm a representative of Christ just telling you what he said. And he says, if they receive it, they're receiving him, right? But if they reject it, if they reject the good news, then really, what are they rejecting? They're rejecting Jesus, right? And Jesus says that ultimately, who are they really rejecting? They're rejecting God the Father who sent him. They're they're rejecting the offer of peace that the God of the universe has extended to them through his son, Jesus Christ. That's who you're rejecting. Well, having received their instructions, the 72, they went out. They did. They, they left. And, and, and whether they were gone for weeks or, or months, we, we just really don't know. But, but what we do know is that they went out two by two, and they carried the good news about Jesus into the towns that he was about to visit, right? They went out. They preached. They healed. And not only that, they even cast out demons. Verse 17 says this. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I love that verse. I love it. Now, th- there's no doubt in my mind that these disciples of Jesus were beyond excited as they returned from the mission. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be? Uh, we, we get excited, right, when we hear from you. How many people have been on a short-term mission trip? Raise your hands. All right, a lot of you. you get, when you see God doing something, you get excited to come back and tell people about it, don't you? Yeah, it's exciting. You're like, wow, you'd never believe what God did when we were here or there. And it's just amazing stuff. They can't wait to tell Jesus about all the things that they've experienced. Jesus sent them out with power and authority to proclaim the good news and to heal the sick, and and they did. But to their surprise, they even experienced success in casting out demons. And as they return, they're like, Lord, Lord, you didn't tell us that we would have power over demons. What? That's amazing. Even the demons are subject to us. But notice what they said after that. In your name. Notice they're not taking credit for it, right? They're like, wow, even the demons are subject to me. No, they they get it. They're subject to us in your name. They recognize that the power and the authority come from Jesus, but they're still pretty overjoyed. They're still pretty excited that they've been able to be participants in this. And Jesus says, yeah, this this is a spiritual battle. 
This is a spiritual battle. There is a war being fought for the souls of mankind. Do you know that? There is a very real spiritual battle being fought for the souls of mankind. And he tells his disciples that, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, I'm just going to tell you really quickly that there are differing thoughts about what Jesus might be describing here when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Many people believe that Jesus is talking about Satan's original fall when he was, when he was booted, right? Why was he booted, by the way? What was his sin? Pride, right? He's, I will ascend. I want to be like God. I don't want to just be, I want to be, I want to be like God. It's an event that's described symbolically. You can write it down, Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 18. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. But others believe that when Jesus says this, says this that, 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 that he's talking about the fact that as these disciples are casting out the demons, Jesus saw Satan falling like lightning. That, that, that the kingdom is advancing and, and, and evil and darkness are being pushed back every time that these disciples walked in obedience and cast out demons. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall and fall and fall. How fast does, does lightning fall from heaven? Boom, boom, boom. Like that type of a thing. So here's what I believe. Okay, here's what I believe. Like, whether he's describing the moment when Satan originally fell or whether he's describing the impact on Satan as, as souls are being set free, the point that Jesus is making here is that he has the power and the authority over Satan. He has the power and authority over evil. He has the power and authority over the entire demonic realm. And so he says to the disciples, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, serpents and scorpions in the scriptures are, are, are symbols of evil. Jesus says, I have given you authority to tread over evil and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Jesus says that, that I have provided you with power. I have provided with authority and I have provided you with divine protection as you carry out my mission. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? You think about that. that when you go out, you go out with the, the, the power and authority and the protection of the God of the universe. And Jesus says, of course the demons are subject to you. I've given you that power and authority. Of course. But, but as amazing as that is, as amazing as that is, you have something far greater to rejoice about. He's not upset with them for being excited, but he's just saying like, let's put this in context, guys. As exciting as that is, you should rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you are no longer separated from God because of your sin. Rejoice that you have peace with God. You have shalom, right? Your names are written in heaven. That's what you wanna rejoice about, guys. Last Sunday, Pastor Dan opened our service with a question. He said, he said what, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you're asked, what, what are you most grateful for? He asked you to, that question. Do you remember that? And, and I have no doubt that there are many great things that came to mind, right? Your spouse, your children, 
right? Your friends, your family, lot, so many good things that you could have you you come up with. Wonderful gifts from God, gifts that we should regularly thank God for. But Jesus says, if you've put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of, our sins, of your sins, Jesus says that the thing that you should be most grateful for, that the thing that should bring you the, the most joy, there shouldn't even be close, this is the thing you should be most joyful about is that your name is written in heaven. You really like, no matter what happens to you in this world, the fact that your name is written in heaven means that, that the best is yet to come. And, 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 and no matter how much good happens to you in this world, if your name is written in heaven, the best is yet to come. Nobody can take that away from you. That's amazing. Jesus says, you should be really joyful about that. Th- that's something worth celebrating. Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus Jesus says that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. How cool is that to think about? That that means that when you became a follower of Jesus, there was a celebration before the angels of God. How cool is that? You're that important. Ha, that's so cool. Man, a celebration. Why? Because a soul has been saved from the clutches of evil, from from the demonic realm, from Satan, and has been given eternal life with God in heaven. God, to God be the glory, right? That's why the angels celebrate. It's like, God, you're so good. Look what you did again and again and again. And guess what? It causes Jesus to rejoice as well. Causes Jesus. Verse 21. Verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus, I love this picture. Jesus looks out at the 72. They come back. And what he sees is a collection of a bunch of ordinary Joes. You know, he calls them children, little kids. Look at them. They're so cute, right? And, and he can't contain his joy. He can't contain his joy. He rejoices in the Holy Spirit and he breaks forth in praise, thanking God the Father for the work that he's doing through the lives of just these ordinary people. He can't help but praise God for what he's doing, the work that God is accomplishing through them. He can't help but celebrate the fact that God, God's plans are being carried out, right? And he can't help but celebrate the fact that the the, the forces of evil and Satan are being pushed back and put in their place. And he's just using ordinary people. You know that somebody in that crowd is like, well, I'm I'm, I'm a little bit wise. (laughs) I'm a little bit understanding. Oh, God, you hid this from all the wise and understanding. Look at these little kids. They get it, and you're using them. This is so amazing. Isn't it great to think that as we walk in obedience to Christ and we carry out the mission that he's given us, that we put a smile on the face of our Savior? 
How cool is that? That every time you walk in obedience to him, you share the good news and, and they get it, they don't get it. Jesus is like, look at that. That's my boy. That's my girl. I love it. Such a great picture. As he watches his otherwise ordinary children pushing back the darkness and bringing light into the world, the heart of Jesus is filled with joy and praise. It's amazing. Well, finally, we'll wrap up with this. Verses 23 and 24, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, most likely, this this private gathering here of his disciples is probably a, a reference to the twelve. But Jesus says, man, do you realize how blessed you are? Come on, Peter, James, John, you realize how blessed you are right now? Look at, you, you, you heard from the 72. You realize how blessed you are to see what you're seeing right now? Think about all that they had seen. Think about everything that Peter, James, John, these guys had seen over, over, these, over these last few years with Jesus. He says, man, all the Old Testament prophets, everything they wrote about, all the, all the prophecies, all the hopes, all the anticipation, you, you're eyewitnesses. You're eyewitnesses to the things that they only looked forward to. And you are so blessed. And so are we, right? So are we. Because God led these men to share what they had seen. Isn't that great? They got to see the whole thing. And and it was such an important message that the Holy Spirit moved them to share it with others. And some of them were led by the Holy Spirit to write these things down, right? So that we, according to John's gospel, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that we might believe that he is the son of God and that by believing in him, we may have life in his name. That by believing in him, our names might be written in heaven. Isn't that awesome? What a blessing. What a blessing. I, I, I want to encourage you to thank God for this. Like this week, don't let it sit on a shelf somewhere collecting dust. Pick it up and read it. This is a gift from God to you. What a blessing. What an incredible blessing. But with that blessing, there comes a responsibility, right? We can't argue the, the, the words of Jesus in this passage. We are accountable for what has been revealed to us. We're accountable for it. And so again, if you're sitting here today and you've never received God's offer of peace, if you've never received that shalom, my prayer is that you would receive him today. Receive him today, that you would confess your sins to God, surrender your life to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. It is the greatest decision that you will ever make. It's the greatest, and and it's the way to receive the greatest gift that you will ever receive. Your name be written in heaven. Jesus is the gift that came to the earth. This is what we're celebrating at Advent. But he didn't just come so you can say, what a cute little baby in a manger. 
He came to die for your sins that you might have peace with God. That's why he came. And as Jesus says here in this passage, whether, whether you receive him or whether you reject him, you need to know. You need to know that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Right now, right where you are, if you're hearing this message, then the kingdom of God has come near to you and you have a decision to make. You have a choice. Will I receive him or will I reject him? That's the choice you have to make. There is no middle ground. My prayer is that you choose to receive him. This will be the best Christmas that you've ever had. You receive Jesus today. And if that's a decision that you wanna make, I encourage you to to talk to God and come and talk to me after the service. Talk to, to someone else here that you know that knows and has a relationship with Jesus and ask them to pray with you if you, if you need help, if you want someone to, to walk you through it. Maybe you have more questions. Don't delay. Make today the day you choose to receive the gift that has been offered to you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for sending your son into the world and we thank you that because of him, we can have peace with you. That he paid the price for our sins. To anyone who believes in him, who calls upon his name will be saved. God, I pray this morning, if there's someone here who has never put their faith in you, has never received that gift, I pray that right now, Lord, right where they are, that they would cry out to you and say yes. Yes, I receive you. God, I pray that they and the rest of us would get excited about this incredible privilege we have to be the ones who take this good news out to others. Get us excited, Lord. (laughs) Help us to, to really celebrate the fact that our names are written in heaven and we have an awesome privilege to be able to tell other people how they can have peace with God. Use us, Lord, we pray today. Use us this week. Work in and through us, Lord. Move our hearts to pray, pray, pray for workers. And God, move our hearts to be willing to go and bring the good news wherever you call us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.